Good morning. Hey, it's good to have some life in the building, huh? Hey, I'm Al Soto. I've known your pastor for quite a few years. We served with each other, but we go all the way back to graduate school. And let me just give a shout out. You have great pastors here. Oh, a few of us agreed with that. You have great pastors here. Yeah. I want to I give a shout out. Pastor Jack has got a great heart. He does dream big. He thinks uh, very much about community and reaching the community, and I want to uh, affirm him, and I'm glad that him and his lovely bride are getting a chance to get some rest and get away with family, and you've got a great team here. Uh, boy, I'll tell you what, they serve. Give it up to them. Boy, I'll tell you what, great team. So let me tell you, we're going to talk about a recipe for a miracle, and I experienced one this week, because on Monday, I work out at a gym, I went out a door, and I got swarmed by yellow jackets. So I've been in the hospital, in the emergency room, they've had me on anti-inflammatories, my face was this big, uh, my leg was big, and, I, and so you know, I just said, hey, I got to get here, I got to be here with the Mosaic family. And, uh, and here I am. Yellow jackets couldn't stop me. Yeah. Matter of fact, I saw a yellow jacket bite into me and do this. Anyways. <laughs> so, hey, listen, we're going to jump right into the message. Um, we're going to talk about a recipe for a miracle. How many of you are in a situation right now where you need a miracle? Huh? Now, if you haven't raised your hand, you're in denial. Because all of us need a miracle. I tell, you know, I told, tell my staff this all the time. Some people, they just believe in miracles. I depend on them. Huh? So listen, uh, we're going to look at hope and how hope rises in the midst of miracles. And I want to look a little bit at the resurrection story this morning because it is an event that is grounded in history that is important to us. And, and, and it's, it's a miracle, and the context of the resurrection is a miracle which is an out-of-step moment in history. Listen, there are many people who want to debate the legitimacy of, of the resurrection. Matter of fact, we are hearing voices today. You just have to get on YouTube, and everyone's an expert on why this isn't true, this isn't real. And what's really sad is a lot of people... Listen to that, and they go, well, God, it's got to be true. It's, it's on YouTube, because everyone on YouTube is an expert, right? N.T. Wright, who's a great British pastor, theologian, he declares the importance of the miracle of the resurrection for today. In his book, Surprised by Hope, this is what he says. And this is the point where believing in the resurrection of Jesus suddenly ceases to be a matter of inquiring about an odd event in the first century, and becomes a matter, listen to this, of rediscovering hope in the 21st century. I have become convinced that in a modern world that embraces the notion concerning that, that only that which is scientifically proven, that, that, that the resurrection, has, it, is, it occurs in a climate of what skepticism and in the past 200 years, in a world that has come to worship power and how we can exercise power to serve themselves, whether it's ethical, moral power, whatever it is, it goes all the way back to the Caesars and the Herods of the ancient world that couldn't reconcile that a king would die, let alone rise again. No matter how much power the kings of this world amass or the wealth that they may accumulate or the military victories they have gained, it all runs into one enemy that they cannot overcome, ladies and gentlemen, and that's death. It's the one thing they cannot overcome. It is in the face of death that hope invades our thinking and when you suddenly realize that the resurrection of Christ is completely different than any other worldview. The rich, the powerful, the unscrupulous, all of them do not have the last word. The resurrection states that we have been made for something more, 
and that there is a grand designer who will enable us to transform the world and that death itself cannot defeat that which Jesus Christ has established. I'm a pretty avid reader, and one of my favorite stories and books to read is Oscar Wilde's wonderful scene, and there's a book called Salome, and it was made into a movie, a popular movie, and let me tell you what Salome is. It's, it's the biblical story of the stepdaughter of Herod, Antipas. Do you remember Herod? And so, so what happens is, she's the stepdaughter, and what happens is, John the Baptist is, is, is really irritating the people within the palace. And Salome, there's a scene in which Herod hears the reports of Jesus of Nazareth and how he has been raising people from the dead. And Herod, upon hearing this, declares, I do not wish to do that. I forbid him to do that. I allow no man to raise the dead. This man must be found and told that I forbid him to raise the dead. There's a bluster of this tyrant who knows that his power is threatened. And I hear the same tone of the voice, not just in politicians who carve up the world according to their own advantage or, or political leaders or, or intellectual traditions. But here's a man with a clenched fist who sees that his power is threatened. And because... He wants the comfort of his own reality. Herods have taken on many shapes and forms. There have been Herods throughout history who want to rob hope from people. They are hope robbers. But I love what Oscar Wilde says. The next line is, is, is really the crunch line. Because here's what happens in the story. Salome requests the head of John the Baptist. And Herod demands... Where is this man, Jesus? And his courtier replies, look, and, and I love this. He says to Herod, In every place, my Lord, replies the courtier, it is hard to find him. Like the master artist, the resurrection was never about a king consolidating his power for his own gain. It was always about freely entering into the mess of humanity. All of our problems, all of our struggles, all of our challenges. And that he created us to be his masterpiece. And as his masterpiece, King Jesus Christ has one very simple principle. That there is a Herod behind every one of our messes that is trying to kill our hope. And there is a miracle behind every resurrection that wants to give hope back to us. Today I'm going to give a recipe for a miracle. And the disciples are right in the middle of the biggest mess in history. It, but yet it is the biggest miracle and we're going to read a passage, and I'm going to do some touch and goes throughout the passage so that we can make our way through it. And here's the passage. Luke 23, 44 through 49. Let's read it. It was now about the sixth hour, and there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. While the sun's light failed and the curtain of the temple was torn in two, then Jesus, calling out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, breathed his last. Now when the centurion saw what had taken place, he praised God, saying, Certainly this man was innocent. And all the crowds that had assembled for this spectacle, when they saw what they had taken place, returned home beating their breasts. And all his acquaintances and the women who had followed him from Galilee stood at a distance watching these things. Let me give you three ingredients for a recipe for a miracle. As we jump into this passage, it's the ninth hour. Jesus is suffering on the cross. And in a loud voice, he cries out about committing his spirit to the Lord. Because if you remember, Jesus said, it's going to be no man that takes the life of the Son of Man, but that he freely lays it down. This is Jesus making the ultimate sacrifice to fulfill every purpose that was given to him. And there's a big mess of grief and loss that Jesus himself has experienced. Can you imagine? Put yourself in Jesus' shoes. He has experienced the betrayal of someone close to him. 
in Judas. He experiences the abandonment of those closest to him. Who would have ever thought it would have been two thieves on a cross that is closer to Jesus than the very people that were following him? They all scattered. He's being made a public spectacle. I don't need to talk about the horrific nature of crucifixion and how this is a public spectacle that's taking place. And he carried the weight of humanity's mess, their sin. The whole weight of it is on the shoulders of Jesus. And then there's the big mess of grief and loss of the disciples. The disciples left everything to follow a leader who'd just been crucified. I want you to think about that for a minute. Jesus, we're putting our full trust in you, and now you're crucified. Now, of course, they ignored everything that Jesus was trying to prepare them, right? How many times did Jesus say, hey, listen, this is what the Son of Man has to do, but they never got it. And now he's dying. There's economic disaster. Could you imagine with these disciples? They can't get a job. They are now on the run. There is no way that they can economically support them. They're on the wrong side of the law, being hunted down by both Romans and Jewish leaders. They are hopeless and hiding in a locked room. And then there's rejection from their primary community. Ladies and gentlemen, can you, you, don't just read the story and not catch the cultural context. They can't go back into community. They are completely ostracized from their community. They're outsiders. But here's the power that I want you to catch. Miracles show up in big messes. I laugh about uh, people because, you, you, know, you know, being a pastor, I, I, like your pastor, we, I have a lot of friends who don't go to church. They're my friends. Now, they're not some type of a person that I'm just trying to lure in. We love people for who they are. And over time, it, you earn credibility with them. And I get this from people all the time. Well, Al, you don't want me to go to your church because the moment I walk in, the walls are all going to come down. Because you don't know what I've done in my life. You don't know where I've been. Man, I've, I've done some dumb things. How many of you heard that from people? Because of, or, or I'll come to your church service when I get my act together. I'm not ready to go to church because I'm just not ready because i got to get my act together. And what people don't capture is this. The resurrection was never about those who knew and understood they were already perfect. It was for those who were already broken. But here's the problem with church. Let me tell you about the problem with church. The longer we go to church and we do church kind of stuff, and we get real religious, the miracle of the resurrection gets pulled aside, and now we don't deal with messes anymore. Matter of fact, we don't even tell people we've got messes. We just come to church and we put on our church face. You know what a church face is? When you show up on Sunday morning, how are you doing? I'm doing great. Hallelujah. Everything is fine. Because I don't want to tell you that I got messes and struggles in my life. And certainly if you're a preacher or a pastor, don't tell people you've got struggles. Because you got to be perfect. Where's that in the Bible? Oh, wait a second. That's in the devised standard version. You devised it yourself. Right? It's not in the scriptures. For a miracle to happen, you got to have a big mess. you got to come to the place that you're broken. you got to come to the place that you can admit to yourself that i got stuff in my life that i got to believe God in, and I'm not good enough to navigate it. But somehow, in the church world, we get a little bit of knowledge about Jesus, we start doing church things, and all of a sudden, our activity, our religious activity, 
replaces the proactivity of an all-powerful God in our lives. Oh, come on, you're not talking about church folk like that. All of a sudden, and I've seen it through this pandemic, ladies and gentlemen. I've seen it. The people that I've been most embarrassed about are not the people in the world. It's how church folks have acted. Huh? Name calling each other and saying things that are just not anointed, but they're dumb. You get on social media, and I, I go, oh, no, no, no. This guy's not saying this in Jesus' name. He'd be better off saying it. I'm saying this in my name. In the midst of messes, we admit our brokenness, and God comes in. I just celebrated a big event in my life. I, uh, this last February 27th, 37 years of sobriety in my life. 37 years. You're looking at a person who used to think 151 was a scripture verse. I did. I drank a lot. February 27th, 1984 is the last time I drank. Because I figured out that when I stopped drinking, I stopped breaking out in handcuffs. And it's an allergic reaction. And, uh, and Jesus got a hold of my life. Now listen, I was a believer struggling with that. And now we have, and I think you have it here. I, I looked at your website. Celebrate recovery. Come on. And it's more than just about drinking. If you haven't explored codependency and the need to give up authority for your lives and all these other issues, Celebrate Recovery is a great ministry. We've just launched it in our church up at Placerville. Powerful ministry. But here's what I find out. Even in churches, this is how we talk. Well, you know, people like that need that ministry. My problems are different. I have different sets of issues. And here's the bottom line, ladies and gentlemen. In the middle of all of life's circumstances, we need the power of Jesus to do what he can only do and we cannot do. The problem is we become so knowledge-based in our relationship with Jesus, that knowledge has replaced dependency. Listen, I believe in Bible studies. I, I love the fact you're doing Bible studies. But do you know that some of the most uh, people that lack hope are people who have a lot of knowledge of the Bible? And the reason being is they haven't allowed the Holy Spirit to allow the Word to transform them from the inside out. They haven't allowed the Bible. It's always like, well, you know, that's for that person over there. And the moment we think that our problems are so unique that no one else can identify with it is when we remove ourselves from a miracle. Miracles show up in big messes. Here's the second thing. You only need a tiny bit of faith. You only need a tiny bit of faith. Here's the first one. You need a really big mess for a miracle. And then you only need a tiny bit of faith. Look what he says in Luke 24. He says, but on the first day of the week at early dawn, they went to the tomb. They were taking spices they had prepared, and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And while they were perplexed about this, the word perplexed means they were literally out of their mind. The two men stood by them uh, in dazzling apparel. As they, and as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said, Why do you seek the living amongst the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember what he told you while he was still in Galilee. And you might, if you, you know, in your Bible or wherever you're at, you, you know, you might want to write a little bit of a note here. Why do we still look for the living amongst the dead? Jesus had prepared them. Jesus had said, listen, this is what's going to happen. That the Son of Man would be delivered in the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. And they remembered his words and returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and the Mary, the mother of James and the other women 
that they told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb. Stooping and looking in, he saw the linen clothes by himself, themselves, and he went home marveling at what happened. Verse 4, where there's no hope, we'll go back to those things that are death. Where we do not have hope, we will go back to the things that bring death to us. That's why hope is so important. That's the reason why the church needs the power of Jesus to fill us with hope. What the world is clamoring for is hope. Man, I am so tired of all of the doomsayers. Well, you know, it's all going to burn. Everything's... You know what? Jesus is going to return. But no one knows the day and the hour. And there's not one verse of Scripture that says, be an Eeyore, be a bummer. Remember Eeyore? Remember Winnie the Pooh? It's all going to be bad. That's what the world needs is another Eeyore Christian. Jesus is powerful, but he doesn't do anything for me. Huh? Man, you guys need to lighten up. It's okay to laugh. Even if it's at me. My friend Aaron over there does it all the time. The bottom line is this. The bottom line is we, when we have no hope, We'll always seek out things that are death. Pilate was wanting to kill hope. If you remember, there's two guys who are heading home, and I love the story. And, you know, Jesus has died, and, and, and they're on the road to Emmaus. And I'm not going to read the whole story, but in Luke 24, 13 through 27, that they're talking to Jesus on the road, and they don't even recognize who Jesus is. And then Jesus says, hey, listen, listen, let me go eat with you. And they're eating a meal with Jesus. And then right in the middle of the, uh, of the dinner, they're, they, they're, there's hope that breaks out at the dinner table. What happens? Their eyes are open, and they go, wait a second. That is Jesus. And then he disappears. And they go back, and what happens? They, their eyes were opened, and they recognize them, and they go all the way. I don't know how far it is, but ladies and gentlemen, it was a long way from where they were to run all the way back to Jerusalem and to say, listen, we just saw Jesus. They didn't even have the faith to believe. But you know what, ladies and gentlemen, there's been too much emphasis on the size of our faith. It's never been about the size of our faith. It's always about the size of the object of our faith. Matthew 17, 20. Because you have little faith, truly I say to you, if you have a faith like what? A mustard seed. You could say to this mountain, move. Wow. It's always been about the size of our God and our dependency on who God is. I want you to know something, Mosaic. You live in the greatest moment in the history of your church for God to be doing a miracle. Do you think, by the way, it was cruel this morning that you have those burritos cooking and my buddy and I had to smell the smell of those burritos during worship. There was spiritual warfare going on. I wanted to leave the service and I wanted to get a burrito. Oh man, you guys need to get, you could just smell the wafing and I'm going, Jesus, yes, yes. Man. But, but do you think that you're just raising money for a backpack? Do you think that's all you're doing? That backpack represents more than a backpack to each one of those students. That backpack is hope. That backpack to each one of those students is going to have a significance, even if they don't come back and go, well, I'm going to go to Mosaic next week. You have impacted the life of a student 
Because for some, some of those students, they never thought they would get a backpack. For some of those families, you met a need. And here's the thing. It only takes a little bit of faith. Tiny bit of faith, but a big God. But a big God. My mother, who's 77 years old, she lives up in Placerville with us as part of our congregation. Five years ago, I'll never forget the moment, I get a phone call from her. Son, I'm in the hospital. You need to come here. I'll never forget when the oncologist came and said she had stage four cancer. The doctor said she has a 40% chance to possibly beat this. My brother and I and my aunt are in the hospital room. It's midnight. My mom's praying at her bed because she's a praying woman and she loves Jesus with all of her heart. She opens her eyes real quick. She says, Al, I got to tell you something. I go, what's that, Mom? God just gave me a promise. I got that. He's got this. And she told the doctor that. Now, the doctors have to do what oncologists do. Well, Miss, Mrs. Mathis, don't get your, your, your hope too much up. No, she says, you don't understand. My God spoke to me and said, he's got this. Man, in the hospital while she was going through radiation treatments and everything, she's winning people to Jesus. She's sharing hope. They even had a woman who was mean to the nursing staff. And they said, Mrs. Mathis, could you go talk to her? Because you have a gift. We need you to calm her down. She was a, a Jewish lady who was really angry about having cancer. My mom led her to Jesus. She's going to church now in Granite Bay. Because my mom led her right there in the hospital room to Christ. She just went and saw her oncologist this last week. Blood tests and everything else. Cancer-free. Cancer-free. But she heard the voice of the Lord in the midst of everything. And the voice of the Lord was this, Nancy, I got this. I got this. See, here's the problem. The problem is most of us want to verify the truth of something from a source that isn't Jesus. And so as a result of it, we're not listening to the voice of the Lord. We're listening to a whole lot of other voices where there's death. But the reason why we do Bible studies, the reason why we do these things like come together and gather and worship, is to hear the small, still voice of the one who really knows. A miracle-working God. And all we need is a tiny bit of faith. Here's the third, third thing about a recipe for a miracle. You need a really big God. Our weakness is we try to stir up our faith to match the size of our faith to a God who's big. It's not the size of our faith. It's the size of God. And the message of the miracle of the resurrection of Jesus Christ is that he claimed to be who he said he is, and he's alive today so he could deal with all of our messes. So let me give you some life lessons from an empty tomb. Because hope is risen, nothing is too messed up for God. I don't know how many of you remember this man. You're going to see a picture of him, Chuck Colson. Chuck Colson was the attorney who was one of President Nixon's henchmen during the Watergate scandal. He did some pretty bad things, guys. This was not a nice person. A self-described hatchet man for Nixon. Colson compiled the notorious enemies list of politicians, journalists, and activists who were perceived as threats to the White House. And he, 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 he basically orchestrated all the illegal activities to discredit the Pentagon. Uh, uh, the, there was an official that actually found out the truth about what took place. He went after him. He was the one who targeted Ellsberg. He was the one who was the hatchet man who literally was the guy, the power behind the whole scandal. And you know what happened? He was the only guy who got caught, really. Several of them went to prison, but he was the guy that the weight of everything went on. And what happened is while he was in jail, here's what happens. 
he meets some guys that came to minister, and he, 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 he 100% gave his life to Jesus Christ. When he went before the judge, you know what he told the judge? I'm not going to change anything or anything. My life has changed. I take full responsibility for my actions and my behavior. And he went and he served time. Here's, here's the, the, the power behind this. He went to prison. He admitted his guilt. He had the longest prison sentence. And what happened is God changed his heart towards prisoners. And he began a ministry which is called Prison Fellowship. And it, this, this is still in the prison system today. And he basically got a grant because what happened is people began to discover that he was so successful, what he had started in keeping people from going back to prison, that he earned $1 million through a grant because they said, this guy is changing lives. How is he doing it? He said, it's through the power of Jesus Christ. Here's what I'm trying to tell you, ladies and gentlemen. He never thought he would change from being an attorney and a hatchet man to working in prison. Christians, with all of our messes, need to understand that God is the one who deals with it. Now, Al, this sounds so simple. I know this. I've been serving Jesus for years. Well, if it was that simple, then the church would be making a whole lot bigger difference than it is today. Because what we've resigned ourselves to is we're just this, this insignificant group of people that no one likes us. And, and so we're just going to be persecuted. We're just going to live our lives. And, and we're just going to be, you know, off in the corner there and somewhere. They're just going to get rid of us. Really? They've been trying to do that for 2,000 years. Have they been successful? Do you realize that the church in China is bigger than the church in America? That you have brothers and sisters in Christ throughout the world. You cannot destroy this gospel. You cannot stop this gospel. Because there is a miracle working God that works miracles. And you know what? Don't despise small beginnings. When Pastor Jack first became here, I remember I came here. By the way, you've done a wonderful job with this facility. It, it looks beautiful. I love what you've done, the stage and everything. But do you, do you really think that God's just going to stop at this? You know, I just got this group of people called Mosaic here in, in Sacramento. And, and, you know, there'll just be a nice little place where you can have burrito potlucks. And every now and then, you know, you know, and we'll, I'll just be happy with that. And if you guys could just be kind to with each other, then we'll just be happy. No, no, no. God has got a big plan for Mosaic. God's got a big plan for your life. You're not here by accident. You're not here because it was a great idea. You're here because it was a God idea. And in the mind of God, and here's the second thought I want to give you when it comes to life lessons from an empty tomb, God is usually at work long before we notice. There's a passage in Jeremiah in which God tells, and I'm not going to read it, it's Jeremiah 18, 1 through 6, he just says this, listen, Israel, don't you know that no matter how messed up you are in the decisions you make, you're in my hands. And long before you'll see it, I'm at work. God uses everything in our brokenness and in our lives to work a miracle to touch somebody else. Thirdly, God shows up even when we doubt. Even when we doubt. I'm going to show you a picture of my, my, my brother's dog. I think they got it here. This is Scout. He's a French bulldog. He is the most spoiled dog on planet Earth. He wears clothes every day. He has pajamas, and now they just bought him a water bed to cool him off in the evenings. He's cute. Here's the problem. He wants to eat everything. So just recently, Scout ate one of his toys and ended up almost having to have surgery. 
Because why? Scout likes to swallow and eat his toys. It's a messy moment. But here's the thing. Scout is dependent on one thing. He's dependent on my brother and my, my sister-in-law because they care for him. They care for him. He can't make any decisions on his own. Scout can't get up one day and say, give me the keys of the car, I'm going to drive someplace. That'd be kind of scary, wouldn't it? <laughs> he is totally dependent on my brother. And, and, and can I just say this? Being dependent on on God is one of the starting points of taking our knowledge and applying it in the right way. It's understanding that we're not self-sufficient. That even in the midst of our doubt, we are dependent on God and that God doesn't want more faith. He just wants our obedience. I'm, I'm moving real quickly because we're almost at a close, but I want, I want you to catch this. So Pastor got up this morning and he talked about giving, for instance. Listen, I, I'm not going to hammer you about that and make you feel bad. You know, we're all on a journey. But I got to tell you one thing. Our church through the pandemic, it, just like your church, I've heard the reports, God has prospered us. Because what was the, one of the first things they said? Pastor, what's going to happen to our giving? I think God's going to continue to work through his people. We just need to keep on being obedient to Jesus. What is Jesus calling us to be? What is Jesus doing for us to love our community well, to love our people well? See, we're always thinking Jesus wants more sacrifice when he just simply wants us to obey. Not more sacrifice. Where do you want me to obey? You want your marriage to get whole? Write this down, because this is a real important theological truth that I've learned through years of study. Stop being a jerk. <laughs> you could be a Christian and be a jerk. I know lots of them. I pastor some of them. And on some occasions, I could be that. Huh? How many of you admit you have the propensity to be a jerk? Oh, only a few hands. Some of you are going, no, I'm not going to put my hand up. I'm not a jerk. I'm a jerk that's in denial. But it's so funny to me. I'll have couples come and they'll, they'll talk about their marriage. And, and you know what? It's never about more sacrifice. It's about obedience. I know I need to control my mouth, but I, I, I just chose not to. Well, Jesus has a lot of things to say about words, doesn't he? In the words we speak. Obedience, right? This, understand, remember this. Obedience is the pathway to breakthrough. You want breakthrough in your life? Where's Jesus asking you to obey? And then here's the fourth thing from an empty tomb. God's solutions are far different than what we expected. For the disciples, when Jesus was arrested, they wanted an acquittal, but they got a resurrection. In other words, they, he had to die first to get a resurrection. It would have been easier to say, Jesus, don't die. Call the angels down. Come on! Can you imagine those kinds of special effects that would have been better than any sci-fi movie? You know, lights, power, God shows up, all the Pharisees are wiped out and turned into chihuahuas, whatever. I always thought that'd be cool. Look at those Pharisees. They're just chihuahuas. Just yelping. Huh? And you're going, boy, do, where did that come from? That just came into my head. Because Pharisees, they just yelped. They're like yelpers. But here's the thing I want you to catch. A death had to take place for a resurrection. Secondly, when they wanted a king who would establish Israel back to its former glory, instead of an earthly kingdom, what did they get? An eternal kingdom. When they wanted safety for their own lives and they were filled with a power which gave them a courage to preach the good news that changed the world and continues to change lives today, that's what they got. Why? Because I don't want a shortcut. God, I want to fully process through and trust you through all the tough decisions that I have to make. You know, we all have moments that God uses to shape our future that we cannot see. You're going to see a picture up here, 
And these are pictures of my dad. I believe they have them up there. That's my father, Albert J. Soto. My dad died when he was 36 years old. He died in 1975. And all of us have moments that God uses to shape us for a future that we cannot see. The resurrection is all about a God who's committed to new creation. He works His power in us and we're never the same. And the moment in my life was the death of my father. At 14 years of age, I thought I was on a course to live in a direction that made sense to me. I, had, I, I was a Roman Catholic kid that, that was very bright, that, that wanted to do a lot of other things. And trust me, ministry and pastoring was not one of them. It was painful, but the resurrection broke into a huge mess and created a big miracle. My dad died at 36 years of, uh, of age, and I often thought that I, would live beyond, I wouldn't even live beyond that age. When I married my wife, I'd always tell my wife, I, I, I think I'm going to die young. Because what I adopted was this mindset that said nothing was going to be ever better than what I lived through. It was an old way of thinking. It was an old script in my life. But then what happened is, through a miracle of a moment, I was invited to a church in Sunnyvale. A friend of mine said, hey Al, do you want to go to church? And I went to church. And what happened is when the preacher gave the altar call and said, there's a young man who's running away from, from, uh, from God I knew he was speaking to me. I had not spoken to my mom for two years. Had not seen my mom because I left the house at 15. Little did I know it was the same church that my mom and stepdad were attending. It was that night that I gave my heart over to Lord and that the power of resurrection entered in my life and changed my life. God uses everything to get our attention so that every experience in our life is not wasted but that God recycles everything so that he can use us if love is the oxygen of the kingdom then resurrection is the fuel that declares to the Herods of abuse addiction neglect rejection that want to squeeze out our hope that it is Jesus Christ who raises from the dead and looks death in the eye and says, you cannot rob my son and daughter of their hope. It is through the perspective of an empty grave that I see the cross. Redemption does not have a dead end. So in losing a father, God pulled back the veil. And I want you to catch this. Did you catch that one of the miracles was the tearing of the veil? The tearing of the veil was this, that from here on out, you don't have to go to a priest. You don't have to go through anybody else, but that everyone has equal access to God. And it was through the tearing of a veil that God crushes the words of a Herod. And he reminds us that he is the lamb that sets us free. One theologian wrote that when the stone rolled away from the tomb, that there was one mighty roar of the resurrected Lion of Judah, who was the lamb that made the very cosmos shake and the hell of every Herod really shrink away from these words, freedom that God wants to give us freedom. It doesn't matter where you're at. It doesn't matter where your family's at. It doesn't matter what addiction is overcoming you. It doesn't matter what brokenness is. It doesn't matter what abuse you faced. It doesn't matter how big those things are when you understand that there is a God who's much bigger than all of that. But more than that, it doesn't matter how a world has flipped into chaos. It doesn't matter the craziness that's taking place. 
mosaic you exist here so that a resurrected Jesus could say to an enemy and an adversary you cannot have my schools you cannot have my kids you cannot have these marriages you cannot have these families that there is freedom so Jesus rises from the dead so that we can experience the miracle. Listen, I'm talking to you right from the heart. You could go to church, you can punch the clock and do the religious thing. But if you don't surrender to the fact that you gotta be dependent and obedient, and that you can't fix yourselves. I can't fix me, but that I gotta lean into a power far greater than myself, Jesus Christ, and that he can set us free. And you may say, Al, I've been going to church and I've heard this message before, and you know what? I'm still dealing with the same stuff. Well, maybe because you're dealing with the same disobedience. Because you see, I'm not saying that you come to Jesus and everything's that easy. What I am saying is, he takes us through all the piles of life and says, let me sustain you. Let me hold you in your hands. I want to restore you. And it doesn't, listen, I should be in jail today. I know that about myself. But Jesus said, I have another plan. I'm going to set you free from a prison that's in your heart so that you can gauge my heart. I've got friends today, they go, hell, a preacher? Yeah. How did that happen? Well, let me tell you how it happened. I was blind, but now I see. I was bound, but now I'm free. It's Jesus. It's always been Jesus. It's never been about me. It's never been about you. It's about Him.